Amanda, remember that time that Helen Keller was super socialist? Welcome to Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb. And this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about their favorite moments in history. And today, we're going to talk about Helen Keller. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. This will be fun. I, fun fact about Helen Keller and my relationship with this topic. (laughs) I, when I was in the third grade, did a, like my first ever, like, biographical like report on helen keller Uh uh-huh i it it was like the first sort of biography i ever read was about her Mm -hmm. about like yeah for biography ever and the first time i ever like reported on like an historical figure was helen keller and it was one of those reports where you had to like do a presentation Uh uh-huh as the person Oh, yes. So you had to, like, dress up as them and do the whole report. I remember like, in it well. In the first person. Yeah. And I can remember, because this was the same year that I was learning sign language, but all I really knew was the alphabet, which is still the only thing I know, uh-huh. <laughs> if I'm honest. Uh, one of the only things I know. And I remember, like, being like, hello, my name is Helen Keller, and, like, spelling it out in sign language, and I thought I was super cool. <laughs> I love that. But I was very into Helen Keller. I was really fascinated with her. Yeah. I remember you being really into Helen Helen Keller and I wasn't yeah. very old but I I have a memory of you being really into Helen Keller yeah I used to watch the miracle worker a lot yes you did it's like one of my favorite movies yeah still one of my favorite movies um before we get into it though would you like a drink update of course great today I'm drinking aloe juice oh what this is something that mom and I discovered uh, when we were in Boston last summer, we were at the airport and we were buying uh, lunch from one of those like um, convenience store kind of uh-huh. like counters, and we bought some like wraps in a, in plastic boxes, and <laughs> then like got a drink from like the cooler, and they had this juice. And it was like aloe and mango and mangosteen, which I don't really know what that is, but we bought it, and it was so good. And huh. when I when I came back, I was like, I wonder where I can find it. And I found it in the Rite Aid. And, like, the nice. only place I can find it is drugstores and single bottles. You can't, like, buy a case of them. Huh. But they're really good. I had the mango one, and I've had a watermelon-flavored one, and now I'm drinking a honey-flavored one, which tastes kind of weird. But I don't mind it. Huh. I was about to say, I have no memory of this, and it's because you it was when there. you were at the airport and I was not there. You didn't fly home <laughs> Because I us. was separate. Yep. Well, that's all very exciting, but I'm drinking water. <laughs> Mine came with a full backstory this week. Yes, it did. <laughs> I discovered earlier today, I had salad for lunch and then I had a lettuce wrap for dinner and I was like, I've just been eating water all oh day. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And here we continue. <laughs> well, you're very healthy. Yes. Oh, so healthy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you want to talk about Helen Keller now? Of course I do. Great. So Helen Keller is born on June 27th, 1880 in Tuscumbia, Alabama. I don't know that that's how you pronounce it, but based on how it's spelled, that's what I'm going with. Sure. Uh, her father, Arthur Henley Keller, uh, did serve as a captain in the Confederate Army. Yikes. So not off to the best. 
Uh, he later became like a an editor of like a weekly paper or magazine or something. <clears throat> I can't remember exactly. Interesting. Her mother, Catherine Everett Adams Keller. I don't know why it was listed with Adams in parentheses, but it was, and that's in my notes, and it's confusing. Probably because that's her maiden name. Probably known as Kate. Uh, which is how I'll refer to her later, <clears throat> was uh, the daughter of Charles W. Adams, who was, believe it or not, a Confederate general. Yikes. There you go. That's It was her maiden name. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Arthur's middle name was Henley, which is more of a girl's name, and Catherine's middle name was Everett, which is more of a boy's name. Like, not that that really matters, but I just well, think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Henley is not a super common name. It's not, but I've only ever heard it as a girl's name. I guess. Yeah. I mean, name has no gender, but... No, exactly. But I just think that... I just find that interesting. Yeah, I find it interesting, interesting a lot of the times in, like... The 1800s, you'll find a lot of women with traditional men's middle oh, names. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of times they were, they were like male relatives' names. Yep. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the family was not particularly wealthy, but guess how they made their money, my friend? Oh, God. Well, they live in the South, so they're cotton plantation. This is a rough start. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Um, oh, by the way, I got a lot of this info from biography.com and out. a lot of it from a website called The Attic, huh? Um, which I just found like from other sources. So a little bit from a little bit from there as well. Cool. So Helen was actually born with all of her senses. She had mm. sight and hearing when she was born and she actually started speaking when she was like six months old. Wow. Um, and she was walking at, like, age one. She was an early developer. Right. And at 19 months old, she gets sick. Um, doctors describe it as an acute congestion of the stomach and the brain. Huh. People think it was probably either scarlet fever or meningitis. Sure, that makes now. sense. Yeah. Um, but this leaves her deaf and blind after she gets really high fevers and it affects you know, her senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way her brain functions. Yeah. That's what that's what that stuff would do to you in the 1800s. <laughs> yes. And her mother actually notices because she stops, uh, Helen stops responding when they ring the dinner bell. Huh. And her mother's like, that's weird. She, she doesn't seem to be able to hear it. And that's when they notice that. Um, she's losing her hearing. She's losing her hearing. And then they obviously notice that she's losing her sight. Right. Um, she, so Helen, when she's younger, begins communicating with Martha Washington. No, not that one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) the daughter of the family's cook. Ah. She's a little younger, so. No, not that one. Not that one. (laughs) Um, and Martha's younger, so they kind of have a little bit of a friendship, and that's who she starts learning to communicate with. Ah. And they start making up kind of their own sign language, which is common for kids who either lose their hearing or don't have their hearing and then aren't exposed to... ASL. Um, yeah, the language. Mm-hmm. And they tend to make up what's called home signs. Sure. And by the age of seven, Helen has developed around 60 home signs. Wow. Yeah. And she can uh, distinguish people by the vibration of her footstep. Of That's footsteps. so cool. I love that. Yeah. So, like, she knows when it's her mom walking into the room versus her dad. Uh-huh. 
So my friends in my dorm room there or in my dorm building their room is like near the steps and so they can like tell if somebody is stopping at the RA's room or going mm. up the steps by like they can hear it and they can tell how far away a person is and if they're like coming to them or if they're going up the stairs I just find that very interesting they've like yeah. learned to listen to that it's very weird how we learn those things because like when when I'm at home if I'm downstairs and other people are upstairs, I know if it's you walking versus mom walking versus yep, dad same. walking, but mostly because I can hear it. Yeah. The vibration I find really interesting. I feel like it's really uh, intuitive for a yes. seven-year-old to be able to do that. Yeah. And a seven-year-old who didn't originally, who didn't Have originally have that. that particular handicap. Yeah. Yeah. So Helen is a very unruly child, as you might imagine. Um, she, I mean, she's rowdy. She can't. She can't communicate yeah. very easily, so she gets frustrated. Uh huh. Um, at family meals, she like would wander from plate to plate and just grab handfuls of people's food and eat them. Mm. She like never sat at the table. She would just like walk around the table and eat off of other people's plates. Huh. Uh, she would just cry for no reason. She'd throw things. She'd slap people. Uh, many of her relatives thought that she should be in- institutionalized because she was so misbehaved. People, and that's what people did in the 1800s. Oh, we yeah. don't know how to deal with them. We don't know what's wrong. Just, just put them in an institution. That's what especially, people did. Especially girls. Yes, especially girls. Um, because if a boy behaved like that, it's like, oh, that's boy behavior. Yeah. You know, maybe not that intense, but. But still. Yeah. Um, and her parents just really let her get away with it because they don't want to discipline her because they know she's frustrated. Yeah. They know it's not her fault that she can't communicate. And so she's lashing out because she can't communicate. But they don't do anything about it. Right. You know. So in 1886, Kate, Helen's mother, uh, has read about the education of another deaf and blind woman, uh, Laura Bridgman. And she reads about it in Charles Dickens' American Notes. Interesting. Um, which was basically just like his exploration of North America and like right. the notes that he kept while he was here. Uh-huh. So she reads about this and Kate sends Helen uh, with her father to the physician J. Julian Chisholm. Uh-huh. Chisholm? Chisholm? I don't know. Chisholm. Um, yeah. Who's an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor uh-huh. uh, specialist um in baltimore isn't it wild that there were already ents in the 1800s yeah yeah because their I jobs mean, just had to look so different yeah but that's a really specific specialization to already exist in well the 1800s. i guess i just find that interesting i guess those were probably common sources of infection then y- yes that's so definitely probably true. a specialization that had a necessity to develop early in our history yeah that's true you know especially for children that's the kind of like yeah that was probably one of the first like children's doctors because that's where children get sick so that's how we keep children alive is by treating that kind of stuff yeah you're probably right yeah um so they send uh they go to baltimore and um the physician refers them to alexander graham bell huh who at the time is working with deaf children which i never knew that he did me either. Until I was reading about this. That's really interesting. Yeah. So Bell advises them to contact the Perkins Institute for the Blind, which was the school where uh, Bridgman, the person we were talking about before, actually had been educated. Mm. Um, 
And it was then in South Boston. Sure. So. That must be so difficult. And I'm sure this will come up later. But, like, people worked with blind people and people worked with deaf people. Uh But it's like there wasn't a good specialist for both. And so they kind of had to, like, pick and choose which was more important. Like, it's that's very strange. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I guess, I don't know. I, I mean, American Sign Language existed at this point. So they already had, like, an easy way to, to make up that particular communication. Sure. You know? Um, so but I, if she I don't can't know. see, then that doesn't help. Like, Right. Yeah. Well, here we go. So yes. they go to the Perkins Institute for the Blind. And the uh, principal at that school refers them to Anne or Annie Sullivan, mm-hmm. who is an extremely important figure in this this story. Yes. So Annie Sullivan is a 20-year-old alumnus of the school, and she becomes Helen's personal instructor. So Anne actually, she's a very interesting person. She actually had contracted a bacterial eye disease when she was five called trachoma, which left her partially blind. So she was legally blind, and when she could see, it was, like, real fuzzy. Sure. And she, I mean, man, there's just, like, a lot to say about her. She had several different operations on her eyes, none of which helped. Um, Just a couple interesting facts about her. When she was eight, her mother died from tuberculosis. Her father abandoned her and her brother. Wow. (laughs) Because he apparently thought he couldn't raise them on his own. Uh, they were sent to live in, a, like, a really awful, like, I guess you would call it an orphanage that later became a hospital. Um, and then there's, oh, I'm sorry, the father abandoned Annie, her brother, and her sister. And her sister was sent to live with an aunt. I don't know why the other two couldn't go to live with the aunt. Right. Who's to say? Um, and her brother had a weak hip condition. And then he died from tuberculosis. Whoa. <sighs> That's Uh, wild. Yeah. And the place that they were sent to ended up getting shut down because (laughs) because of, and I quote, sexually perverted practices (gasps) and cannibalism. Oh, my God. Didn't see that one coming, did you? No. This is a mini episode about Anne in the middle of our episode about Helen because that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. She went and, like, had a an operation later on when she got out of there. So she went to the Perkins School for the Blind, obviously. She went and tried and tried to have another op- operation that wasn't successful. And when she was at this hospital, she ended up staying there and, like, helping the nuns who ran it. Wow. And would, like, do errands and that uh-huh. kind of thing. And that's where she spent a lot of time. But it's just, ugh, she's very interesting. That is so interesting. And we'll definitely talk more about her, like, in her life. As we go. Yeah. So, March 5th, 1887, Annie Sullivan arrives at Helen's home. So, they're back in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Uh, Helen later refers to this day as uh, my soul's birthday, Mm. which I thought was sweet. Yeah. Um, So, Annie begins spelling words into Helen's hand using American Sign Language. Mm. She starts with the word doll to reference the doll that she brings her as a gift and at first helen's like very excited she's like oh you know something's happening in my hand but she gets really resistant and frustrating because she doesn't 
Helen doesn't understand that objects have a word to identify them. Sure. So she's spelling things into her hand and Annie is uh, prompting her to spell them back. But she's just mimicking her and she's not understanding like when I give you this thing and then I spell the name of it. It's because that's, that's what, what it's the called. thing is called. Right. Yeah. Um, so she would get very frustrated and sh- her tantrums increase. And eventually, because of how bad her temper was, Annie insists that she's isolated from the rest of her family because her family wasn't like following through. Right. Their, it, their instinct is to just let her be. Well, try to stop the tantrum uh-huh. instead of like teach her this is not how you behave. Yeah. And so Annie says she needs to be isolated from the family. And the two of them move into a little cottage on the land. Right. And they, they live there together. And the parents don't see her for a while until mm. she starts getting the hang of it. Um, Helen finally breaks through and understands what's happening when Annie spells the word water into her hand while running water over her other hand. Mm. Um, And I'm going to read this quote from Helen Keller's autobiography, The Story of My Life, which, by the way, she wrote when she was 22. Whoa. (laughs) Um, So she said, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought. And somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, and set it free. That's amazing. Yeah. That was always my favorite scene in The Miracle Worker. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I love that because everybody has a moment when language suddenly becomes an actuality for them, but so few people actually remember them because it happens when they're so young. When you're but like she a baby. Was like, but she was older. Or like when the first time you read a word and you realize it means something. So like even a little after you're a baby. Well, but, but she, you start to realize it when it's like, say mom, and you recognize this yes. person's my mom. Yeah. It's but that I, concept. Yeah. But like it, so few people remember that moment because they were so small. And she has that very vivid memory of like language becoming real. And that's just very cool. Well, yeah, because she didn't have language at all. Yeah. She had like this, me- like this, when I touch my mouth, it means I want food, but but that's not hungry. Right. Right? So it's just very interesting. And from the time she starts to understand it, she starts demanding that like everything be spelled into her hand so she can learn the, the names of everything. So she'd like walk up to something and like, you know, touch it and be like, tell me what this is and like put uh-huh. her hand out and, you know. Uh, so there's going to be a lot from this point on of like, and then she did this and then she did this and then she did that and then she did that. Cause it's very, it's very that. Uh-huh. So in May of 1888, Helen begins attending the Perkins Institute for the Blind. Annie goes with her to Boston and she attends school. Um, in 1890, she begins speech lessons at the Horace Mann School for the Deaf in Boston because she really wants to learn how to speak. Uh-huh. Uh, she has this very real desire to communicate as, once she figures out what communication is, she wants to do it traditionally if she can. Sure. In 1894, Helen and Anne moved to New York, uh, where Helen begins attending the Wright 
Humason? I'm not sure. School for the Deaf until until 1896. She stays there for a couple years. Quick pause. I just realized that I missed you saying 1888 and didn't mention that it was the year that Jack the Ripper <gasps> existed. Because I just looked up and I saw it in your notes and I realized I didn't say it out loud because I was looking quickly. at something else when you said it and I'm angry at myself and I had to I had to stop everything <laughs> so that I could say it anyway. Well, I rolled through it pretty quickly. Yes, you did. Anyway, 1888 that. is when Jack the Ripper was around. Continue. <laughs> so in 1896, uh, Helen and Anne returned to Boston where Helen begins attending high school at the Cambridge School for Young Ladies. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, she is, not She went to many very famous schools. Yeah, well, I mean, the schools were famous, became famous for accepting people like Helen, right? Yes, I know. So, I mean, it makes sense. And they're like, so so many of these are still very famous and still around. Oh, yeah. I just think that's really interesting. Her life is very interesting. Here's yes. something else interesting about her. <laughs> so, because her story starts becoming a little more known, she meets a lot of famous people oh yeah one of which is mark twain sure who becomes a very close friend and twain introduces her to his friend henry h rogers who is a an executive at standard oil and rogers is very impressed with her um and decides to pay for her college wow um which was radcliffe college of harvard university Hey, Mark so, Twain, can you get your friend to pay for my education, please? Like, Can he what? pay for my college? <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. So she begins there in 1900. Um, Anne attends lectures with her so that she can interpret, which I imagine would be tedious. Yes. But what are you going to do? By this time, Helen has mastered several methods of communication. Um, including touch lip reading, where she puts her hands on your mouth uh-huh. while you talk, uh, braille, uh, speech, typing, and, you know, spelling out in ASL. Imagine knowing that many languages that are all still English. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like knowing 12 different languages, but it's all with the base of English. It's like every knowing every language whose root is Latin. It's just very right. interesting. Yeah, it's very much that. So in 1904, at age 24, Helen graduates from Kala. College. Wow. Kala. I don't know how to talk. Uh, she's a member of Phi Beta Kappa, which is like a very prestigious academic, uh-huh. you know, sorority or whatever. Fraternity, I guess, technically. Uh-huh. Um, and she is the first deafblind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. That is amazing. Yeah. Like, not even from, not from Radcliffe College, like, ever. At all. Yeah. Wow. Um, so she, after she graduates, she begins traveling, and she gives lectures about her experience. Um, Annie, of course, travels with her. And in 1905, Annie Sullivan marries um, a Harvard instructor named John Macy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three of them live together. Wow. They get a house together in Queens. And they use it as kind of a home base for all of her efforts um, raising money and awareness through the American Foundation for the Blind. Uh, it causes problems in Annie's marriage. Yeah. Because she's very devoted to Helen. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Annie and John actually separate, uh, are separated by 1914. 
Um, but they never officially divorce. Huh. Uh, but they don't live together anymore by that point. Um, I found this interesting. This came from a HuffPost article by David Servan Schreiber called Helen Keller's Secret Love Life. Oh. Ooh, and I'm just going to read the quote. While in her 30s, Helen had a love affair, became secretly engaged, and defied her teacher and family by attempting an elopement with the man she loved. Who? I don't know. <laughs> huh. Very weird. I just found the detail interesting. So I'm yeah. There. Um, so around 1914, Annie Sullivan's health begins to fail, mm-hmm. which is sad. By this time, a woman named Polly Thompson has moved in with them because she's been hired to clean the house. She's a young Scottish woman. Lovely. um, Which is important, and I'll loop back around to in a second. (laughs) Um, And Annie dies in 1936. Sad. Helen Keller is holding her hand. Uh, Annie had fallen into a coma as a result of coronary thrombosis, which is basically a a blood clot in her heart. Oh, it's so sad. Sad. They were companions and they worked together for almost 50 years. Wow. It's an incredibly long-lasting relationship. Yeah. It's wild. Anyway, I highly recommend watching The Miracle Worker because it's all <laughs> about their relationship and it's very Yeah, I, I remember really that's like, I that is my first memory of Helen Keller is that movie. It's so good. And like, I haven't I'm, watched it in a really long time and I remember very little about it, but like the stuff I do remember is very vivid. <laughs> yeah, like I might have to watch it after this recording because it's, really it. it's been a long time. I love that movie. Um, so after Annie's death, Polly, previously mentioned, uh-huh. sort of becomes Helen's new companion, somebody sure. to travel with her and, and help her out. So they together move to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. They then keep traveling and raising money for the blind. Uh-huh. Polly has a stroke in 1957 oh. and never fully recovers, and she passes away in 1960. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah. Um, but a nurse that had been hired to care for her, uh, Winnie Corbally, actually stayed on to be Helen's uh, companion and, and stay with her until the end of... of helen's life wow so because she had somebody she needed to have somebody with her right because getting around was was difficult difficult um and probably like keeping track of schedules and stuff like that she needed somebody to help her because she was a busy person Uh uh-huh okay so the rest of this is real like facts 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 about helen keller cool uh she was a suffragette pacifist radical socialist birth control supporter, and an opponent of Woodrow Wilson. Wowzers. She ain't like him. (laughs) So many things in that one sentence. Yeah, and we're going to break down a little bit of it here and there through the rest of these facts. Okay. So, 1915, uh, Helen and George A. Kessler, who I think is just like a businessman, Uh businessman, uh, Businessman. found the Helen Keller uh, international organization, uh-huh. which is devoted to vision, health, and nutrition. In 1920, Helen becomes one of the founders of the uh, American Civil Liberties Union, which you might know as the ACLU. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I I knew that she was one of the co-founders of that. I think a lot of people don't know that. I didn't. I didn't know that. That's really yeah. interesting. Um, Helen 
meets every U.S. president from Grover Cleveland to Lyndon B. Johnson. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, She is a member of the Socialist Party. Yep. Uh, She actively campaigns and writes in support of the working class from around 1909 to 1921. Uh, A lot of her speeches and her writings are about the women's right to vote. And she was... She was opposed to military intervention, so she wrote about that a lot as yeah, well. Wow, girl. Okay, don't get too hype yet, because yeah. here's I'm, the next I'm, thing. I'm looking at the next point. <laughs> she did support eugenics. Yikes. Not great. Big yikes. In 1915, she wrote in favor of refusing life-saving medical procedures to infants with severe mental impairments or physical deformities. Stating that their lives were not worthwhile and they would likely become criminals. That is wild to me. I know. Because Isn't she that so weird? has disabilities. And is one of the most productive members of society for her In time. In general. <laughs> yeah. Definitely for her time. She's extremely productive. Yeah. Oh, it's God. So that is rough. Weird. It's such a strange. Like, lapse. Dichotomy. It. I. Yeah, it's, it's really very weird. weird. It's very weird and disappointing. Really. Yeah. Huh. Um, here's something interesting. Her spiritual autobiography, My Religion, was is published in 1927. It later gets revised and reissued under the title Light in My Darkness. And it advocates the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg. It's a great last name. Yeah, who was a Christian theologian and mystic who believed that the second coming of Jesus Christ had already taken place. Interesting. So she, like, she believed that. That is fascinating. Yeah. You know, this is like, she's she's such an intellectual, and that's such a strange thing to believe. Yes. As an intellectual. In my third grade report, I never would have known anything about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not exactly something they publish in the textbooks, you know what I mean? No. That's that's really interesting. Both of those facts are so interesting. Just knowing the kind of person she was, those both seem like such strange things. They seem contradictory to the rest of what her life and her beliefs. Her personality. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Very weird. Um, in 1936, she receives the Theodore Roosevelt Distinguished Service Medal. Mm-hmm. In 1946, she is appointed Counselor of Inter- International Relations for the American Foundation of Overseas, Overseas Blind. Wow. And with this, between 1946 and 1957, she travels to 35 countries on five continents. Wow. Isn't that That's amazing. But get this, in 1955, when she was 75 years old, she does a 40,000-mile, five-month trek across Asia, giving appearances and speeches. 75. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. I know. In 1961, uh, Helen experiences a series of strokes, and she stops traveling. She spends the rest of her life at home. Right. Uh, that's always the part when we're talking about people who do things like this that makes me the saddest is the point in their life when they can stop being like active yeah that bums me out 
Because yeah. like, we talk about all their hard work and like all of the amazing stuff that they do. Yeah. And it makes me sad when I know that they like reached well, that point in their life. she kept writing. Yeah. She and I think didn't... that's true for a lot of folks. But still, it's like, oh. Yeah. She just couldn't travel and give lectures anymore. Yeah. On September 14th, 1964, Helen is award- awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, by Lyndon B. Johnson, who, of course, was the president. At yes. That time. Yes. In 1965, Helen is elected to the National Women's Hall of Fame at the New York World's Fair. Cool. She receives honorary doctoral degrees from the following. (laughs) That's a great way to start it. Yeah. Temple University and Harvard University. uh, The universities of Glasgow in Scotland, uh, Berlin, Delhi, India, and hmm, one that I cannot pronounce uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa. Wow. And she's named um, an honorary fellow of the Educational Institute of Scotland. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. So many. So on June 1st. Hey, that's your birthday. That is my birthday. 1968, Helen dies in her sleep at her home, Arkin Ridge, which is in Easton, Connecticut, just a few weeks short of her 88th birthday. Wow. Um, A service is held in her honor at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., uh, which is where she, which is where her tomb is. Uh huh. Um, her she's cremated, and her ashes are placed there next to Annie Sullivan and Polly Thompson. Aw, yeah. It, after her death in 1999, uh, she's listed in Gallup's most widely admired people of the 20th century. Wow. She's featured on Alabama State Quarter. I don't know if you recall, but in 2003, we were hype on the state quarters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people collected them. That's great. Um, and this this Alabama State Quarter is the only circulating U.S. coin that features Braille. Wow. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I think we have them. Oh, surely. Because we collected them. Well, mom, like, collected them for us. Yes. She had but one of those books. Yeah. She had one of those books for each of us where you put in the quarters, like, on their states. It was a whole thing. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we have them. I bet we do. Um, streets are named after Helen Keller in Zurich, Switzerland. Um, and in the U.S., in Getafe, Spain, in Laud, Israel, in Lib- Lisbon, Portugal, and in, my French is not good enough for this, uh, Cannes, France. Uh. Um, not C-A-N-N-E. C-A-E-N. I mean, C-A-N-N-E-S. C-A-E-N. I don't yeah. know. And in 1980, the U.S. Postal Service issued a stamp um, with Helen and Annie on it to mark the centennial of uh, Helen Keller's birth. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So that's, that's Helen Keller. Lots of facts. Yeah. She had a, <laughs> just she just had a really packed and very interesting life. She had an amazing life. Like yeah. she there are things about her that it's like A you would never expect, obviously. We talked about those. Uh-huh. And that seems so inconsistent, but still it's like so interesting. Yeah. To like, know that the all things of those things in her are life true. that led her to that is yeah, it's so interesting, mm-hmm. and it's also just so amazing because she got so sick so young, and then lived, 
but lived with a disability for the rest of her life, which for a lot of people, that would have been the end of their life. They wouldn't have been able to live a healthy life with At that time. At that time. Yeah. They wouldn't have been able to in the 1800s. That was a really difficult thing to do. And not only did she live, she became like so well educated and one of the most influential just like figures in America. It's just such an amazing feat for the time period that she lived in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's cool. I don't know. She's just a cool person, except for the eugenics. That's rough. Yeah. I mean, but it's still such, like, an interesting facet of her. Yeah, it really is. It's weird and, like, unexpected. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And definitely not something, yeah, definitely not something I learned in school. No. Oh, no. Which is, like, you know, When you were learning about her in school, you wouldn't have known what the word eugenics meant. Well, I mean, I was in the third grade. Exactly. I first learned about her, but... (laughs) Yeah, I, they, I don't think they would have taught us about eugenics. I, no, they would not point. have. Um, <laughs> big yikes. I mean, um, probably wouldn't have in high school either unless we I mean, ourselves. no, they wouldn't have, but that is, like, for different reasons. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> it's more like for, uh, like, in third grade, it's like, don't tell them that. It's terrible. <laughs> and in high school, it's like, don't tell them that. It makes people look bad. <laughs> That's so you true. Know? Man. So... That's the episode. Yes, it is. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found that interesting. Um, if you have other topics you'd like us to talk about, or if you have questions or comments, et cetera, et cetera, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at rttpod. Um, and hey, if you're listening to this on iTunes, why don't you throw us a rating and review? Yeah. We love it. Do it. Um, if you, um, want to find me on the internet, you can find me at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Cool. Do you know what we're going to talk about next time? Absolutely not. Great. No clue. I'm in the mood for a murder or (laughs) a mystery, but I don't know what at all. So we'll see if I follow through on that. I have no idea. Well, it's a mystery. So, <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> so, <laughs> so until next time, remember that time. Mm-hmm.